This morning's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. Awesome. Good morning, Stonehouse Church. Glad to see you. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we just read from Ephesians, we are in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, walking through a series entitled Reshape as we look at how the gospel story told to us through the Apostle Paul here in his letter to the Ephesians reshapes the way that we look at all of life and uh, therefore ends up reshaping us and our lives as well. Um, if you're new with us, I'm encouraged to see you and want to encourage you to stick around um, a few weeks. It can be tough to get used to a church unless you get to know a few people and kind of get to know the feeling around uh, that group of people. So uh, we are excited about God building a family here amongst us and trust uh, that you'll find welcome here in that family. Uh, we also like to make sure you understand we make room for and love to engage uh, in dialogue and not just simply um, dismissing questions and arguments. So if you're somebody searching and kind of exploring Christ and his claims and the gospel, uh, we love that. And uh, that's one of the main reasons we're here, is to help people explore the person and the work of Jesus, to see who he is, what the scriptures say about him, uh, and to wrestle with the doubts that we have. Some of us have uh, maybe more doubts or seemingly bigger doubts than others, but I really think we're all wrestling uh, with doubt on some level, and so we welcome that, and we're glad to engage doubt and uh, pursue faith together as we seek Jesus. Uh, I do want to make a, a little bit of an announcement about the PAL here back at Police Athletic League. We're kind of readjusting to life here at the PAL, so uh, we're getting used to uh, setting up everything again. Uh, haven't done great at starting on time. Uh, haven't done great at telling everybody where everything is, so uh, we got to do a little bit better job at that. We may be adjusting sometimes in the next few weeks. i got to talk to the people in charge here. We'll see. Um, so just be paying attention to that, and uh, we'll try to make it as clear as possible. Uh, if you do have kids, our kids' room's over there. If you're a mommy and need to take care of babies, we've got a mommy-baby room over there. Daddy's too. Uh, changing table, pack and play, some couches to chill on. Uh, just want you to know those things are available. Men's restroom's there, women's restroom's there, and all the food's back there. Yummy. Um, so, did I miss anything? I can tell them to ignore you. So last week we had this amazing preacher, and uh, don't worry, he'll be back. So uh, as well, we'll have a couple of other friends um, in the pulpit in the coming weeks as we walk through Ephesians together. So a couple of familiar faces to some of you. Uh, they may be a stranger to you, that's fine. Uh, they're trusted friends and good brothers in this community, and so they'll be up here uh, helping us get through Ephesians, as well as Jason will be back, uh, I think, in two months, something like that. So, anyways, we, uh, 
we've been talking about Ephesians, and, and, and when we started Ephesians, we talked about how the book is kind of uh, bifurcated into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 is one section. Chapters 4 through 6 is another section. Uh, and there's a division of those sections based on a word that Paul uses in chapter 4 to open it up, and he says, therefore. Um, and so chapters 4 chap, uh, and 5 and 6 uh, are largely uh, implication chapters. They're, they're, they're commands. They're speaking uh, about what we are to do. Um, and, and the reason they don't start, Paul doesn't start with those in chapter 1 is because in the Christian life, everything that we are to do stems out of what Christ has done. And so that's why chapters 1 through 3 starts with just gospel explosion, where Paul is super excited about what Jesus has done. He pens these dynamic chapters, which are almost one, ver or one sentence in the Greek because he's just so full of joy and eruption about God's great grace toward us. And so that's what 1, 2, and 3 are all about before we move into 4. So after today, we'll be um, partway or almost, uh, uh, almost a third of the way through, I guess, the whole book. Um, but this week, also, we have a therefore. So within the larger uh, explanation and unfolding of the gospel, there's a therefore uh, in this section today. Uh, as Jason just read, we begin with therefore. So, in order to understand what the therefore is there for, uh, which is always important to do, we need to very quickly summarize last week, which is no easy task, um, but we'll try to do it. Here we go. So, last week we heard the story of how we, as lost sons and daughters, came to know Jesus, right? Before hearing about Jesus, we were physically alive, but spiritually dead. That's what uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 helped us to understand. In our spiritual death, we were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin. Now, I know I'm not talking about you right now. I'm talking about your neighbor. But this is the truth about how the Bible explains humanity. Dead, in sin, without purpose, we are selfish. And also, we are deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. All right? So our plight is grim. Uh, to say the least. But amazingly, God, in his great love and mercy, he saved us, he forgave us all our sins, he joined our lives to Jesus' resurrection life, and he's brought us into real, new, and true life in Jesus Christ. That is the work of God in Christ that has brought things, all things into unity together. And so now we are new human beings. We're no longer dead, but we are alive. It's a difference that we cannot make on our own. It is one that God has to do for us through Christ. We're now able to live lives that are alive to God, no longer dead. Lives in which we have a new calling and a new purpose and a whole new set of desires to actually do good and love God and our neighbors. And best of all, we get a new master. Not that deceptive, evil ruler of the age, but rather the creator and lover and the, the one who's sacrificed his life for all of us. We have this new master who loves us and continually pours out his grace on us. So the therefore then of this week pulls us further up into the view. Um, it takes us from, excuse me, from the view of the individual new human and what salvation means for me, it pulls us into an even grander view of a community of new humanity and what salvation means for we. So much of last week was about what is salvation for me and the personal implications of that reality. Now Paul says, therefore, since you're new, here's what God's done to create a new humanity. And that's what this week is all about. And honestly, this is the passage that I made darn sure that I got to speak on because it is one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures and definitely one of my favorites in Ephesians. So let's read this passage again, not because Jason didn't do a good job reading it, but because we want to hear the Bible again and again and let it wash over us because it is fresh water to the desert of our hearts. So here we go. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 once again. Therefore remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your work in Christ is personally amazing in what it does to us, transforming our dead hearts and giving us life in Christ, making us alive by faith to you and to uh, your purposes in the world. You have taken the deception and replaced it with the truth. You have taken the darkness and obliterated it with light. You have taken our sin and selfishness and crucified them on the cross with Christ so that we might have new life. And God, that we would understand today through your word what this new life does to make us one with others. God, this is a, a profound beauty, uh, an amazing truth that, God, we, we look around the world and we see how badly it's needed. Division is just commonplace. It's rampant even. And the words of Paul, it is hostility. And God, we long for peace, but we cannot make it ourselves. So we pray that you would make it for us. Give it to us and expand it through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we as human beings have an intensely strong desire to belong. It is so inherent in our creation, in the making of us. We see in Scripture, God's creation in the beginning began in utter perfection, in absolute beauty. And in that created environment before sin entered into the world, there was absolute belonging. There was oneness between mankind and between mankind and God. There was a unity, a community, a belonging that endured, that satisfied, and that saturated everything, not just humanity, but also even creation. And we know that that unity was broken and that ever since that unity was broken, mankind has been pushing by their own effort to try to re-attain the unity that was lost. The unity with one another, yes, and even more so the unity with God that was lost. And so we have this intrinsic nature that wants unity. We want to belong to something. It's been built in us, but it's been broken. And what ends up happening so often with this longing is that we create belonging with our hands and feet, with our own devices. We manufacture something 
that we might belong, we build communities, right? We build families. As image bearers of God, we expand, we build out, right? We build cities. We build clubs, right? We build streams of education. We build political parties. We build the Tampa Bay Lightning sports fandom. What? I got to get it in every week, yo. Three o'clock NBC. So we long for belonging, right? And we seek to build it. And on the surface, it's a really good thing. It's good. But what's crazy is that in our inability to build perfectly, what we end up with when we build to belong is something that divides. So all those things that I just talked about, those education streams, those political parties, those sports fandoms, the families, and whatever, while they were a good effort at belonging, we find that when you extrapolate them out, when you follow through with them, eventually they create division. They, they break us apart, right? Now we see this on a global scale, right? And it's like, oh, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just belong? You know, this one world dream that is pervasive in so much of our culture it's unattainable through human effort, but it's, a, it's deep, deep, deep inside of us. It's a true and good longing that God made us for because God did make us one humanity. But we can't get to it by ourselves, right? And so sometimes unknowingly and sometimes with arrogance and pride, we manufacture things to seek after community and unity and belonging that eventually end up dividing us. And so we have classes and races and nationalities and educational majors and particular giftedness and so on and so forth. And these things that eventually divide. We do this with the amount of money we make. We do this with the giftedness that we have. We do this with the language we speak with the history that we have. We identify in them and then we divide through them. Because the human heart's broken. We cannot pursue perfectly the good things that God has for us without breaking something. It's what happens. And so we find pride, we find belonging in a particular section of society and eventually because we are broken and prideful we end up in a posture of looking down at those that don't belong to that society. We break it. We're, we're, we're divided. And Paul opens this passage by explaining one of the largest divisions that had ever existed in all of history. And that was the division between the people that God said, these are mine and all other people. There has never been a bigger division in human history than that. Because God did say to Abraham and to his children, you are mine. You will be like this. You will live in this place. You will follow these rules. You will carry my ark. You will build my temple. You will be my people. And the rest of the world looked in longingly. Some of the world looked in grudgingly. But deep in the scriptures of the Old Testament, you find time and time again the mention of the Gentiles and God's eventual work for salvation of all. That that work had to come through Israel. And that's a grand story. And so we see that religion often divides. And in this case, Jew and Gentile was a division that separated the world in half. We don't have many divisions in our world that separated in half. <laughs> that was a giant division. And Paul unfolds in this passage how Jesus obliterated that division, the greatest division that has ever been seen. And so in the midst of our desire to build this belonging, we see our brokenness and how we sometimes create division. 
And deep inside of it, we see our longing to belong, not just to something, but to God. And in all of Scripture, that's the, the greatest possible blessing that anybody could know is to have God near them. That is ultimately the belonging that we're after, right? And God is holy and perfect and unique in his being. And so often as we seek to try to belong to God in our own religious efforts, we seek to make ourselves different by our rules, by our regulations, by the things that we can do so that we feel godlike, so that we feel distinct and unique and different. The whole point of the belonging that's deep inside of us is that we desire to belong to God. And so all of these man-made devices that seek initially to create belonging eventually create division. And they point to this truth that we are divided from our Creator. So verse 12 of our passage says, Remember that you were at that time, so he's talking about when there was Jew and Gentile separated. He said, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That sounds a lot like how Jason began last week, dead in our sins, deceived by evil, selfish and corrupt children of wrath. I mean, we were separate. From God, alienated from his people. We had no hope. We had no reason to think God was for us. We experienced the world without the peace of God. Sin had separated us from God. And because sin had separated us from God, we had warred amongst one another to set up distinctions of how we are more worth approval than others. That's what our divisions ultimately created. And so because of this division and because of the desire for belonging that we could never fulfill for ourselves, God was the only one who could do something to change it. Mankind had never been able to bring unity to themselves. And so what do we see? We see that it is Christ and Christ alone who breaks down the dividing wall. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So some of what is going on here that Paul's explaining is the, the division that was there that was created uh, gets broken down because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law. And so it touches on the law, and that's one of the main distinctions between the Jews and all the rest of the world is that the Jews had God's law, right? We know Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and that also after that there was the book of Leviticus, which unfolded 614 laws about uh, moral uh, purity, about ceremonial purity, and then about uh, civic duty. There was just all these laws that governed the people of Israel. And they were the laws that made the people of Israel unique from all the rest of the world. And what they did, uh, by they, they created a wall. <laughs> and one of the most poignant examples of this wall was when the temple was built, there was actually this uh, wall outside of the, the courts, and that wall was a dividing line between Jew and Gentile. It was literally a wall that you could not get across unless you were Jewish by heritage. You, if you came to worship God because you heard of the one true God of Israel, but you were from Macedonia or from China or from Egypt, and you went to Jerusalem to worship and you, you went toward the temple, you didn't have the you know, the glow-in-the-dark stamp on your hand that they scanned at the gate with the fluorescent light to let you in. You didn't have it because you weren't a Jew. You couldn't get past that wall. It was a literal separation from God that people who sought after God who were not Jewish felt 
in themselves. And Paul says that wall is something that separated you and alienated you from, from being a part of the family of God, the community of God. And again, all along, the Old Testament speaks these whispers of God's desire to welcome in the Gentile. And then we see in Jesus something that is so glorious and profound in one of his visits to the temple in Jerusalem. He walks up to the temple courts and because of the religious nature of mankind, the, 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 the religious teachers of the day and the religious community of Jesus' day, on the, on the outside of that wall that divided Jew and Gentile, they built a marketplace. Right? Like Saturday market, legit, full-on, tables, stands, goods, and so on and so forth. They built a marketplace. Now, they thought they were building the marketplace to help Gentiles worship Jesus, but because, again, of the broken sinfulness of man, they ended up seeing that that marketplace profited them. It helped them make money. And so the market was proliferated. It grew. And in that marketplace, you would find the stuff that you needed in order to worship. And so a Gentile could go and could spend money and feel a little better about that separation between them and God. They could buy something and pay somebody to take that thing in and sacrifice for them. But they still had to stay outside the wall. The division was heightened. Now they not only needed a different ethnicity, but they needed money to worship God. You see what we do? We build these walls, and Jesus arrived at that place. And in one of the few places where Jesus loses his cool, he tosses temple tables, forms a whip, and drives out money changers and those selling doves and pigeons and animals for sacrifice. And he screams at the top of his lungs. Okay, that's how I imagine it. Did I not say that my house would be a house of worship for all people? Repeating the prophet Isaiah. Jesus was fuming mad about the separation of race and religion and the division that mankind had elevated to all new heights. You see, the law was never meant to tell the Gentiles they couldn't belong. The wall was meant, the wall of the law was meant to show both Jew and Gentile that they could not be holy by themselves. Israel never fulfilled the law, ever. But Jesus did. And when Jesus came and fulfilled the law, he erased the condemnation of the law that the law had on us. We could not follow the law. Therefore, we were condemned under the judgment of God. And Jesus did follow the law perfect in righteousness, never being broken from fellowship with God like we were. And then on the cross we traded places that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Now the moral demands of the law, the condemnation that was on our shoulders has been lifted because it was thrown on Christ. And not only that, but also the broken or the wall of brokenness that was established in ordinances. So Paul's talking about the civic law and the ceremonial law. Jesus abolished them. Abolished them. That's why we can eat bacon to the glory of God. Right? Because the ceremonial laws do not eat, do not touch, do not, right? Taste those laws. If you've read Leviticus, they've put you to sleep before. Let's be honest, okay? Those laws and the civic laws, all the ones that say me or my nation will do these things, many of them are great, but the, the obligation of the ceremonial laws and the civic laws have been removed because they were never meant to endure the test of time. They were meant by God to set up a people unique for him. And Jesus removed it because Jesus, through his work, has made a people unique for God. So John Stott says it very 
clearly and wonderfully this way. Jesus abolished both the regulations of the ceremonial law and the condemnation of the moral law. Both were devices, divisive and both were put aside by the cross. And so in Christ, the wall of hostility has fallen. So the Jewish Gentile wall, gone. The greatest wall that ever existed, gone. The implications of that reality is that every other divisive wall that we set up in our futile attempts to create belonging, every one of those walls is gone. Why? Because our seeking after that belonging is most often built around our abilities to do something, to earn something, to achieve something. So therefore, I set myself up as a particular education standard or a particular uh, moral standard or a particular political standard because I can hold to those things. Or I've deceived myself to think that I can hold to those things, right? Like, I'm in the category of the great drivers of America. Let's just be honest. No one drives as good as me. Because of my self-righteousness, I have set up a wall that says people who drive like me are good and people who drive not like me are bad. Right? We do this with our belonging. Because I belong to that club, it cost me this much a year. Right? The only people, therefore, that can belong to that club are the people that can afford to spend that much a year. Therefore, bifurcating society into those who can afford and those who cannot. I live on that side of town because I can afford it. I wear these clothes because I can afford it. I've got this job because I got that education because I'm smarter. Right? All of our bifurcations, all of our divisions are all created around our self-righteousness. We talk about this all the time. What does that create? That creates one of two things, either pride or despair. Right? Because so long as I'm achieving, so long as I'm attaining, so long as I'm staying within the bounds of my righteousness, I look down on everybody else who can't do what I can do. You're not as good as me. You're not as smart as me. You're not as fast as me whatever, right? Therefore, you're bad, dumb, less than, whatever. And we stand in pride and we judge the world. And that space between me and them is hostility. You feel it. Your anger's there. Your judgment of others is right there. Your they should be blank is right there. Why? Why should they be? Because in your arrogance, you've determined that's what good means. We've broken the world. We've made hostility. Or we build the wall. This one is deeply personal because of my efforts at religion for years. I build a wall about all the right stuff I'm supposed to do because God says so. And I don't do them because no one does. You're lying to yourself. I love you to death, but you are lying to yourself if you think you do them all. Before God or anybody else, right? No, people should never say that. You say it all the time, right? Back to my traffic problem. People should never, I do it all the time. Don't use my blinker, right? All the time and judge people, right? So I know secretly when the screen is off and the lights are dark, so never, right? I know secretly that I don't fulfill. What does that lead to? Despair. In the the heyday of my self-righteousness, I had a 25-minute drive home to the place I was living at the time, and I had a freeway off-ramp, at the end of which was basically a T intersection with a stoplight. And almost every time I went up that ramp, I didn't want to put on the brakes. I wanted to fly right through the intersection and into the pole because I wanted to go to the hospital and not be able to do anything. 
in my righteous, self-righteous religion, I was dying of despair because I knew what I was hiding. I was flying the banner of Derek's righteousness and secretly hiding my sin. And I wanted rest. I didn't want death. I didn't want death. I wanted rest. I wanted to lie in a hospital bed and not have to do religious things anymore. I was depressed. And so there's hostility here between the doers and you knowing you don't do. It's what makes you feel bad about yourself. It's where your self-condemnation comes from. And I do this too. I think everyone else is doing baller, right? And I have the discussion in my head of my own failures. And then I put the discussion of my failures in my head into the heads of everybody else, and I think everybody else is thinking of my failures. Therefore, there's a hostility between me and those who I perceive as achieving. I can't love them. I have to be jealous of them because I think they're attaining. So whether you're fulfilling in your pride or falling short in your despair, you are in the world of hostility. And the way that it ends is when you look on one who alone can achieve what you can never achieve. And not only can he achieve what you have never achieved, but he gladly achieved it for you and gave you peace. The gospel kills hostility because it puts us all on our knees in front of a cross where a man hangs who should not hang there, but did because of love. He killed that hostility, you guys. So we no longer have the arrogance and we no longer have the despair, but we have belonging with God. And it's not a belonging based on nationality and it's not a belonging based on earning and it's not a belonging based on money and it's not a belonging based on language or education or skill or anything that I can do. It's a belonging that's only based on the work of Jesus. That's why the gospel matters for the whole world because God can really bring peace. He really can because it's not based on what anybody else has done. It's not based on anybody else's history. It's not based on an intellectual ascent to a particular thing. It's based on Jesus invading sin and breaking through the barriers that we create. That's why the church is exploding in the Middle East right now. It's mind-blowing. I love to hear the stories of missionaries over there. I need to do better at sharing them. God is breaking the wall of Islam and Jew. It's amazing. Through Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus killed the hostility. He unites us. Paul says he brings about a one new man out of the two. Oh, praise Jesus. So now me, when I think that I achieve and I look down on those who I don't think achieve, I can look at them and realize nobody's achieving anything. It's all a gift of grace. By God's great power, we're the same. <laughs> we're the same. They're just like me, loved by a God who made them. It's glorious to be united to Jesus personally, which is what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 talks about, means to be united to others globally because God has made one where there was two. And so Paul talks about peace that comes through Christ. This peace is in two parts. Number one, Jesus is our peace. And then number two, he preaches peace. Elsewhere, Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because my right standing with God is no longer based on the good that I do, or because my distance from God with the, the good that I cannot do, because that's been erased, because I've been justified by faith, I'm united to God, I have peace at last with God. 
right? It's been given to me because of the work of Jesus. And then in verse 17 of our passage, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus, in his post-resurrection appearances, often opened with the phrase, peace be with you. (laughs) To the scared little disciples in the upper room, peace be with you. Right? Why? Because he he did it. (laughs) And the resurrection was proof the division is broken, right? The temple curtain was torn. Remember that part of the story? When Jesus died on the cross, there was a, te- a curtain in the holy place of the temple. It was torn from top to bottom. A tear that no human hand could ever do because it was the hand of God, right? That division was broken, so he comes up out of the tomb. And he's like, peace, it's been done. Unity with God is possible. You can belong now because of me, because of my work. And... That peace was continued to be preached, was continued to be preached. Great. The apostles preached that peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament church preached that peace by the same power of the same Spirit. And we preach that peace because of God's work. We can proclaim it. And so then Paul goes on to say that the peace... Uh, that the preaching of that peace continues today through the sights and the sounds of this new family. Jesus preached the peace, the apostles preached the peace, and we're preaching the peace. How? We're one new humanity. We're one new society. We're one new community. How? Well, because any division that was created by man is now torn down by God through the work of Christ on the cross. And we, as the family of God, as the the temple of God, as the citizens of God, we live in that peace and proclaim that peace through our unity to the watching world. Because, let's straight up, we are not unified politically. Right? There's some churches that are. We are not. And I am joyful about that. Right? Right? We are not unified in our education. We are not unified in our tax bracket. Right? We're growing toward not being unified as all a bunch of white people. Just being honest. Right? We are unified only by the work that Jesus has done. In Christ, the new defining trait of anyone who has been taken from death to life is that they are recipients of God's amazing grace. That's the unity. And Galatians 3.28 says boldly, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. That is bold, bold statement right there. The divisions are gone, which means our racism must die. Our sexism and our classism must die. Our generationalism must die. The divisions created because of our education must die. How you look by what you wear and how you smell and when you go there and what you do there. Those divisions don't exist in the body of Christ. Because Jesus has made the two one. And so none of these things now divide us from the household of God. Paul saying joyously to the Gentiles here, you belong to God. Once there was this distinction, circumcision, uncircumcision, that's Jew-Gentile. That's what he's saying, right? That's all he was saying. Once that division existed, and now it doesn't, the two have been made one. How? Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is a beautiful sentence. You put in whatever division that you have built or that others around you have built. 
pull, plug whatever division is in your life, that hostility, that DMZ, right? Whatever is dividing, plug that into this sentence. Through him, they'll both have access in one spirit to the Father, the rich and poor, the black and white, the man and woman, the different nationalities, the different educations. We both have access. Why? Because of one spirit. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's hints of 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 right here. 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 is where the name Stonehouse Church comes from, in which, Paul, or in which Peter proclaims that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Paul kind of touches on that very same thing here because those those words right there, they're describing the church. The division of the two into a one, what is that? The church of Jesus Christ. It's not a universalism that just says because Jesus came and died on the cross, there's now no division among anybody. Because he did it, it's all gone. No. Because he did it, and he preached, and we believed he's built one. It's the church. Right? The global church, universal church, yep. All of the church from all of the time in all of the places for all of history. The church, right? How do we see that here? Stonehouse Church. How does St. Pete see that? By just looking out at the world and just going, Oh, the church is unified. No. They look in at us and they go, those guys shouldn't get along. They live on opposite sides of town. Usually those guys over there kind of look down on those guys over there because they think they got, you know, better whatever. But they're all, they're like sitting next to each other, yo. They're like chilling. They have barbecues at each other's houses. They go to the beach and what's going on? They're like at these things downtown together, hanging out and they go fishing and they look. But they live on other sides of town. I thought that there was this division in St. Pete. I thought there was that road, you know, like right down the spine and cuts it in half. What's going on? That guy's got that color skin. That guy's got that. I thought there's this thing right now. Aren't we, isn't everybody fighting about this? How are those two sitting for lunch, you know? Like, what's up with that? That guy's wearing really, really nice clothes. That other guy's kind of smells and they're talking and they're sharing belongings and they're, they're, they're embracing right so global church yes Jesus has brought all together because he has made peace and he has preached peace and we believe in him so yes out there but here right the book of Ephesians is very church centric nearly all of the conclusions of what God has done in the gospel end in the church for Paul. They end in a diverse people that do not belong together by any natural means suddenly belonging together because of spiritual means. We belong to God and we belong together. This is glorious. It is a miracle that God does this. We ought to rejoice in it and look at it again and again to the praise of God's glory. So, may the eyes of your hearts be opened to hear the message of Ephesians 2. That God rescued dead sinners like me and you by grace through faith. And he united us to Jesus, giving us a whole new life, bringing us near to God, even though in our sin and brokenness we were far off. And now, because of the peace that we have with God, the divisions between all of the kinds of the people are broken down. Because he unites us into one new humanity, a new family, a temple, the church, which is built on Jesus, the cornerstone, to show off God's glory to the world. The point is, 
that they too might have peace preached to them through us to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. The hostility that we know exists in our world is strong. It's potent. It's fierce. It divides in so many ways. And God, I, I don't know where that hostility is in anybody else this morning. I know where it often is in me. I make jokes about traffic, but it, it, it's other places too where I look at my self-righteousness and I think that I'm better. Or I look at my inability to fulfill the law of God and I think others are doing better than me and so there's a division. And God, these divisions exist all over in our lives. Whether it has to do with education or history or our family or our race or, or our language or, or the side of town we live on or, or whatever. God, these, these hostilities are rampant and, 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 and the world does well at communicating that they're there and that they're bad uh, and that they're unavo- uh, uh, unconquerable and, and all the while Jesus has given us peace and is preaching peace. Oh God, that we might believe that you might humble us as your people to actually believe that it took the cross of Jesus Christ to bring us back into belonging with you. That it took the perfect life of the sinless Christ and the excruciating death of the Son of God. It took that extreme in order to bring us to peace with God. And so through that peace, Lord, might you bring peace to us. Bring peace to Stonehouse Church. Bring peace to St. Pete through us. Bring peace to your world, God, by breaking down the hostility. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This morning, like is our custom, we're going to sing a few more songs. And as we do, communion's available at the front. Um, encourage you to come and take the bread and dip in the cup and just remember what Christ did to break the hostility. And then maybe today, I don't know, this just popped into my head, maybe hug somebody. Maybe display some unity. I don't know, if you feel like it. Because Jesus has made us one. That's amazing. It's glorious. So why don't you stand with us? Let's sing these last few songs. Come take communion whenever you're ready. Break off the bread, dip in the cup. Let's sing of Christ.